try to keep the snoring down. But we'll be in James chapter number one. James chapter number one, and we'll find starting in verse number twenty-two. Stover families had a great impact in my life, and um, really appreciate them. Appreciate Vince and his friendship as well. And a lot of things I learned was from Mr. Stover. And uh, he had a, a fun way to always explain how I should do things and uh, straighten me up and different things like that. And the uh, Lord used him greatly in my life and then also with Vince and his friendship. And it's been good. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. It's been a good weekend. And I uh, had a lot of fun with y'all. And uh, I was told it was going to be 80 when I came, but uh, the Lord decided it was going to be a little cooler, but that's okay. And uh, the important thing is just to stay faithful and to keep at it, and uh, God will bless your efforts for it. Uh, we take off this afternoon, so you think about it whenever you, you know you change positions on the couch. Um, pray for us as we're traveling back home to Murfreesboro, and uh, then we'll just be getting ready for Thanksgiving and uh, ending up our semester there at the ranch, and then also uh, we got uh, one more meeting left right after Thanksgiving down in Alabama. And so we're excited about that as well. James chapter 1, since pastor said he might be sleeping, why don't we stand one more time and uh, we'll take a, look. <laughs> take a look at verse number 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And the title of the message this afternoon is being a doer of the word. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, I pray that practically we can take a look at your word and if we find ourselves lacking in certain areas that we're supposed to be doing, Lord, I pray that we'll start doing it starting really this afternoon. Show us, Lord, as we evaluate ourselves, comparing your, ourselves to your word, uh, that if we need to draw closer to you, that we will. Lord, I need your help. Fill me with the Spirit's power. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may take your seat. Uh, remember the very first time that you actually started looking in a mirror and thought, well, I don't really think I can remember that. Maybe that would be some of you could probably can. I think with guys, it's more of a more of a thing because your parents are finally saying, did you even look at yourself in the mirror? I think ladies, it's a little bit more natural that they'll do that to make sure they're looking pretty, but guys don't really worry about that, looking pretty. If they do, that's a problem, but uh, looking handsome and things like that. And uh, I remember when I started being able to look in a mirror, and I started looking in the mirror, and I think to myself, you know what? I think I'm doing pretty good. And I think oftentimes, uh, as we look at ourselves, that's what we think. You know, I think at some point in time, I know sometimes you can say, oh, I feel like I'm ugly and things, but I think oftentimes we like ourselves. You know what I mean? We get along with ourselves pretty good. And you, every once in a while, you could be looking and say, you know what? I am looking pretty good today. And, and uh, you could be filling yourself with 
yourself. <laughs> and uh, I remember when uh, I started looking in the mirror more and I was like, I don't know, maybe nine or 10 and driving down the road and I'll be in my dad's Chevy truck and I'll be looking in the mirror and smiling a certain way, that kind of thing. And dad would say something like this, hey boy, you like yourself? And it was always very embarrassing because I didn't think anybody else was noticing that I was looking in the mirror and checking myself out, that kind of thing. And uh, I remember talking to ranch hands, 15-year-olds that come to the ranch. And I talk to them every summer about the importance of looking in a mirror. Um, everybody shows up and they just look like they came out of bed, their hair sort of woof, that way, and they haven't washed their face in a little bit, that kind of thing. And I'll be like, ranch hand, did you even look in a mirror? Uh, go to the restroom and go get yourself cleaned up, that kind of thing. And uh, that can happen from time to time, especially as we're looking into the mirror of God's Word. As we look at the mirror of God's Word, we can sometimes look at it and uh, think, you know what, I'm doing pretty good compared to somebody else, and we like to bring somebody else into it to make ourselves feel good. But we're supposed to be looking at the mirror of the Word of God and making it personal in our life, and it's showing us exactly how we are looking spiritually to God. And so it's important that we are in the Word of God and that we are doers of the Word. Uh, the important thing about getting in the Word of God and being a doer of the Word, because number one, it evaluates how you're doing. The Word of God, number one, evaluates how you are doing. Um, evaluates how you're doing, one out of that, by during, during trials. We all live through trials that happen, and the Bible talks about that. Look at James chapter 1, look at verse number 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect, complete, and entire, wanting nothing. That phrase, uh, verse number 2, I was listening to a preacher and uh, he was explaining what it means, counting it all joy. And he explained it like this, welcome the trial as a friend. Now, I don't know how you react when you see friends. Guys, we can see, you know, it's been a day or it's been a few weeks, months, years. It's pretty much the same reaction. Hey, hey, what's up? Not much. You good? Yeah. You? Yeah. Good. That's pretty much how we welcome friends oftentimes, guys with guys. But with ladies, sometimes you get a little bit more reaction, right? You see somebody you haven't seen in a long ah! and they start screaming, and they start hugging, and there's weeping, and all these things that happen and because you're so excited to see your friend. And that happens with guys every once in a while, uh, but not probably as much as it does with ladies. Well, the Bible is saying here, as a trial come, we should just welcome it as an old friend. Hello, trial. You're back. And there's a reason why this trial is here. God allowed the trial to be here. So I'm just going to welcome it as an old friend. Did you know as long as you're here on earth, you're going to be dealing with trials? It's not going to go away. And what's nice about the trials is that it gives us an opportunity to get closer to the Lord and to draw closer to Him. But oftentimes when these trials come, we get further away. 
Uh, not too long ago, I was reading in the book of Job. If you are depressed about your life, read Job chapter 1 and you'll be encouraged. Um, all his animals get taken or they get burned up from heaven. I don't know if you thought about that, um, but that's a bad day. When, when all of a sudden your animals, which showed his wealth, was stolen by two different types of people. Uh, then all of a sudden, one servant comes back and says, a great fire fell from heaven and burned up all your sheep. Have you ever imagined that before? I, I would have, as long as it wasn't my sheep, I would have enjoyed watching that um, just to be able to see fire just come down from heaven. Whoa, what was that all about? But we would get lost sometimes is that was a huge trial. Not only that, um, it went after his health. He had sores all over his body. Um, all his children, seven sons and three daughters, they died on the same day. Um, his wife, she was a blessing, wasn't she? Commentator says that's the one reason why the devil kept her alive, because he knew how she was going to be. And she said to Job, curse God and die. I don't know if he had a nice insurance policy or something like that, but uh, that's what she thought he should do. And then it goes on, and his three friends show up. Now, with friends like them, you don't need enemies. And basically, they wax eloquent for several chapters saying, you are not right with God. And Job keeps saying, I know I'm going through a lot. And this is a huge trial, and it's, I'm going after trial, after trial, after trial, but I think I am right with God. What a great testimony he had with those things. Now, Job wasn't perfect, but he was trying to deal with it in a good biblical way. Normally, if there's one trial that comes through our life, whether it's financial, whether it's health, where our, our friends hate us, and talk bad about us, um, death of a loved one. One of those things happened to us, we want to throw in the towel, we want to quit living for God. But the fact of the matter is, we should count it all joy that God allowed this to happen, and this is an evaluation on how I'm doing, on how I'm dealing with these trials. Another thing is during temptations. How are you dealing with temptations? Look at verse number 12 in chapter 1. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to him that love him. Let no man say, when he was tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, verse number 15, we find what people would call the sin cycle. Lust, the desire to do wrong. We've got the sin nature. It's there. It's going to be there until we're dead. All right? Um, so we all have that. But when lust hath conceived, if we act upon that, it bringeth forth sin. And sin when it's finished, it bringeth forth death. How are you dealing with temptations? Now, my temptations are going to be different than your temptations. And the devil is watching us and finding out what are the things that would tempt us the most because he wants to destroy your life. He doesn't like it that you go to church. He really doesn't like it if you're at church in an afternoon service. Uh, he doesn't like it when you're doing visitation or inviting people or being Christ-like. He hates it. So he's going to put all the temptations to us to, um, 
want us to fall into those temptations. But here is the great thing. This is my favorite point of favorite part of point number one. I got good news for you. God will give you help. Isn't that awesome? That yes, we're going to go through trials. Yes, we're going to go through temptations. And yes, can it be overwhelming? It can be, but God has given us help. Look at verse number five. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Let me ask you something. Have you ever lacked wisdom? Have you ever got to the point and you're like, I really don't know what I'm supposed to do with this situation or what I'm supposed to do with that situation, whether it be financial, whether it be health, or something that's going on personally in your life. And you're like, I don't know how to deal with it. Know what you're supposed to do? Let him ask of God. And God, verse number five, that is a promise that he will give it to you. You know how to deal with a certain situation? Friend, give it to God. It is a promise. He will help you. And it shall be given him. It is so simple. So as we get into the word of God, number one, it evaluates how we're doing. Number two, it educates us how to live. It educates us how to live. It gives instruction. And it goes on in chapter number one, and it talks about how do you treat people that are less fortunate than you. Look at verse 27 in James 1. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows and their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So the fact of the matter is, we should be treating people, the fatherless and the widows, and we should be helping them in their affliction. Now, my dad passed away when I was, I believe, uh, 12 years old. And uh, January 21st of, of 93, that's when my dad passed away. And I was 12, and it was obviously one of those things that happened suddenly. It was a house fire that my dad passed away in. And I was able to get out of the house fire. My sister was, my mom was, uh, but dad, dad did not. Dad died that day. And we were in the hospital for nine days and we had second and third degree burns and, and all those things. And my life was totally turned upside down. And I was a, a kid that didn't have his father. And let me tell you something. Um, it's a big deal when a kid doesn't have his dad. It's a big deal. And I remember getting frustrated about a lot of things. I wish I would have was taught some things, but my dad wasn't around to teach me. And we're probably just getting into dad teaching me stuff. And that's when God decided to take him. Well, I used to ask God for uh, a father figure. And my mom was asking God oftentimes that I could get a father figure. And the thought was always in my mind that God would send me a man. Well, what God sent me was a church. So... After dad left because of circumstances and uh, he went home to be with the Lord, we had to change churches. And God guided us to the right church at the right time. And that church had a youth group and had several men in the church. And at certain times in my life, God sent different men in the church to be that father figure when I needed it. 
And I saw the importance of a local church helping someone that was fatherless and helping my mom, who is a widow. Now, we were thankful that financially we were doing okay. Mom got a job at the bank and, and we were doing fine. But there was a lot of other things that mom needed help with. And the church come, came to the plate, so to speak, and helped us greatly. So it is important that, number one, what the Bible is talking about here, how do you treat people that's less fortunate than you, the fatherless and the widows? It goes on and talks about in James chapter number two, how do you treat poor people? Look at verse one in chapter two. Uh, we have an illustration. My brethren, have not faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. For there come unto you assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel. And there came also a poor man in vile raiment. And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing and saith unto him, Sit him thou here in a good place. And say to the poor, Stand thou there or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye that despised the poor, do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin." and are convinced of the law as transgressors. How do you treat people that have less money than you? We have the example. Here's the person that looks up sharp. We want you to sit in the seat of honor. The person that doesn't look as good or is poor and we know it, mm, go, go over to the corner. Um, stay away from us. We're glad you're here, but we're not talking to you and stay over there. And it's important that you evaluate people on how you want to be treated. So let me ask you, how are you treating the fatherless? How are you treating the widows? How are you treating the poor people? Then it goes on under helping, our edu helping to educate us on how do you use your time? Look at James chapter 1. Look at verse number 26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. So what I take away from this verse is this. If you can't control your tongue, you're a fake. You're a phony. As a child of God, you should be able to control your tongue. Let me hear how you speak. Then I'll tell you the direction you are going. Look at James chapter 3, verse number 1. It says, My brethren... Be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. So often we are flamethrowers with our mouth. Let me listen to you talk. I can tell you where you're going. We have the example of the ship. We have the example of the horse. And so is our tongue the same way. How are you talking to people? 
It doesn't take much. A little word, a small sentence, and it's a spark. And that spark can cause a great fire of destruction in your home and in your church at work. You need to control your mouth. Several years ago, I was in Bible college, and uh, that's getting more and more. I'm starting to say decades ago, I was in Bible college. But um, anyway, uh, there's a guy that gave a devotional. Now, I, I can honestly say this wasn't the best of all devotions I ever heard, but I've always remembered, I always remembered his illustration. And he said, guys, we need to be on fire from God, on fire for God. He said, we had, I had a twin brother, and this guy was a unique-looking guy. And to say he has an identical twin, that sort of blew our mind. We was in a collegiate meeting, about 100 of us guys was listening to this. We were like, whoa, this guy has an identical twin. And so we were sort of like lost in that. We had a lot of fun with that. And he said, I was in an apartment complex with me and my identical twin, and we started playing with matches. Now, Mom always said, don't play with matches. But mom wasn't around, and so we thought it was fine to do that. And so as I was playing with matches, I was writing by our curtains, and we weren't paying attention to that. And that match caught the curtain on fire. The next thing you know, all the curtains were on fire, and there's flames all over the apartment. And we had to run out of that. And as everybody evacuated from the apartment complex, and we watched the apartment complex burn to the ground, I thought, you know, that's how we need to be on fire for God. That's what he... <laughs> <laughs> and we never recovered as we were hearing that illustration because all we could think of was you burnt down an entire apartment complex and he just talked like it was totally normal but uh, oftentimes our our tongue is like that match that can ignite those curtains that can just spread all because we can't control it and uh, we shouldn't be that way sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do Just don't say anything. Just don't say anything. I think of one phrase that comes to me. I don't know if it's very um, poetic, but I thought, shut your yapper. Just learn it. Learn how, to, you know what? You don't need to say it just because you thought it. And just, mm. And you know what? Don't even say, oh, I was going to say something. Now I'm not. Because you know the person's going to ask you. Oh, come on. It's just me. You can tell me. No, learn to hold it, learn to swallow it, learn to eat it, and go on your way. Because we need to learn how to control our tongue. So number one, if we're going to be a doer of the word, it evaluates how you're doing. Number two, it educates us on how we're supposed to live. And number three, it should, we should emulate our Savior. We should emulate our Savior. I was thinking about how we get temptations to come. Was Jesus Christ tempted? Yeah, the devil came and tempted him. How did Jesus Christ do? He went through with flying colors. He quoted scripture right back at Satan to give us an example on how we're supposed to deal with our temptations. Let me ask you this. You go through trials. Did Jesus Christ go, trial, go through trials? Beatings people close to him, betraying him. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were always trying to trick him. Let me ask you this. 
Did Jesus Christ tame his tongue? So often you read, if you start going through in Luke chapter number 23, it talks about how Jesus didn't answer. He didn't say a word. Now, if I was perfect, which I am not, and people are getting ready to kill me, and I didn't do anything wrong, is everybody going to hear about it? Yes. I would make sure everybody knew about it. I would even start my own podcast telling everybody how perfect I am, right? But the Lord Jesus knew how he was supposed to be. And he opened not his mouth. Let me ask you this. Did he love on the people that was less fortunate? I think of the woman at the well. I think with Zacchaeus, he ate with him. He helped the sick. And we find that the greatest example of being a doer of the word is Jesus Christ. We have that great example. So as we take a look at God's word, and it's, it's like a mirror. It's evaluating us. How are you doing today? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And we'll just take a time here this afternoon to evaluate. Let me ask you, how are you dealing with trials? How are you dealing with temptations? How do you treat people that's less fortunate than you? What are you doing with your tongue? Let's take the time right now and ask God how we're doing. And let's draw closer to Him. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for this passage of scripture. And Lord, I pray for me as my friends that are here today, as we are looking into the perfect law of liberty, that when we're finding the flaw, that we're not dealing with things the right way, that we're not treating people the right way, that we're not talking the right way, that we'll change and be a doer of the word. Well, thank you and praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Matt. It's been a great weekend. Uh, I want to again say thank you to everyone who fished in and helped out throughout preparing for this weekend and uh, that were able to come out this weekend as well. And I know we had um, six